this place called uh, Wall Park. It's here in Houston. And it's probably my favorite place in all of the city of Houston. It's a park that is located uh, in between, like right off Allen Parkway, in between the Heights and Montrose. And it's this park that is so odd in the city of Houston. It's, it's you know, because Houston's pretty flat, right? And so Wall Park has these beautiful hills in the middle of the city with this perfect green grass. And for whatever reason, the way that the, the landscape is set up, the sun shines even better on, one par- on Wall Park than it does most places. And in Wall Park, they have these beautiful purple trees that... Um, I'm sure there's a name for them, but they just grow purple stuff, and it's absolutely beautiful. And there's several different kinds of trees, and I don't know what it is about Wall Park, but I feel like for whatever reason when I'm there, God speaks a little more clearly to me than other places. And maybe you have a place like that. And the irony of Wall Park is my favorite place in the middle of the city— is one of the places that human hands and and inventions have touched the least. I sit in view of of the downtown skyline, which is very beautiful and impressive, but it's nothing compared to Wall Park. Human hands can never match what God's hands have created in this glorious creation. And I've told you before that last year, I got to go to California for the first time in my entire life. And if you've never been to California, you need to go there sometime. And I got the pleasure of not just going to California, but driving down the California coast on a beautiful, sunny day. I highly recommend the Highway 1 drive down the California coast. And it got to the point towards the end that probably in a day I took like a thousand pictures. There are more pictures on my phone of anything else or nothing else than the, the California coast, except maybe my wife and my dog, but kind of close there. And there's just something that's so beautiful about creation. And something that every human in this room, you just absolutely love it, and it inspires you. And, and somehow, in some way, the God of the universe speaks to you through the creation. And we look at the creation and we say, wow, this is amazing. God must be pretty awesome because he created this. But have you ever considered that the same God that created the Rocky Mountains and the California coast and Wall Park and all these beautiful places is the same God that created you? The same God that created, like the sky is blue. How random is that? And the grass is green. I mean, it's pretty colorful. I mean, just the the bare necessities of our earth are very colorful. Why did they have to be that way? Why did God choose to do things that way? And in Psalm 8, David says something like this, that God crowned humanity, that's me and you, with honor and glory. I hope you leave here this morning realizing that in God's eyes, you're better than the Rocky Mountains. You're better than the California coast. 
And I would argue theologically that God takes more pleasure in humanity than he does in the ocean. Because we were created in this special image and likeness of God unlike any other creation or creature. And I know the majority of time in church, we focus a lot on the post-sin era. And that's good, because we live in a sinful, broken world, and we make it very clear that every one of us sitting in here this morning, you're a sinner, you're far from God in certain ways, we've made mistakes, we have, we've offended God, and it's only by the blood of Jesus that we are made right with him. But we need to understand our role in God's glorious creation. Because every person in this room, you have a, the same way the Rocky Mountains and the California coast and the mountains and the moon and the stars and the green grass and the blue skies and the whales and the dolphins and the tigers, birds, we have a specific place in this creation that God created us for. And what God is doing in this world at this very moment, what the Spirit is doing in this world in this very second is he is getting us back to the place that humanity was supposed to be at. Because we were simply created to be loved and to love God. We were created to receive the love of God and then to love God and love others, or you might call it to glorify God. I love Psalm 8. Turn with me there this morning. It's where we're going to be. Psalm 8 is a, is a beautiful psalm, and it's what uh, many refer to as a nature psalm or a creation psalm, which simply means that David, King David the author, basically uses creation and nature to show how great God is. And I hope that you use the creation that we live in, the beautiful nature landscape where you can find it in Houston. I pray you use that to remind yourself how amazing God is. But to realize that we're supposed to be singing God's glory as much as the mountains. Stand with me this morning as we read God's word together. we come to this psalm this morning, I want us to to focus and to dive into it, to meditate on it, to reflect on it. I want us to really see what God has for us in this psalm. King David says this, praising God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you were mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, 
the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth. May God bless this word. You may be seated. That's so beautiful. I wish I prayed like that, you know? And I guess that's the whole point of our prayer initiative is that we begin praying like this. But David says a few simple things in this psalm. He says that God is glorious. He says this glorious God has created a glorious and beautiful creation. And he says that this glorious God who created this glorious creation miraculously loves us. And this glorious God who's created this glorious creation who miraculously loves sinful man has given us a role and a special role in creation. You see, what David does in this psalm is he uses the vastness of creation to reveal the greatness of God. The vastness of creation simply reveals the greatness of God. David uses the wording, all the earth, because to them, they weren't as familiar with the universe as we are today. So the earth was, understandably, a big, glorious place to them. They were amazed at how large the earth was. And David takes the joy that, that creation gives him, and he directs it back to God in glorifying him and acknowledging God's power in it. And we need to take time to marvel at the creation that we live in. If David looked at the earth and was mesmerized by God's power, how much more so should we be today with modern science? You see, we've realized that the universe is a little bit bigger, just a little, than probably 3,000 years ago David knew when he was writing this. We live in Houston, Texas, which seems huge, okay? Houston is known as a large city, but Houston is just simply a speck of dust in comparison to the earth. So we live in Houston, and then there's this gigantic earth. And then they say the sun is roughly, if earth was in the same shape, earth is roughly 960,000 times smaller than the sun and if you were to travel to the sun from Earth today with our modern technology, it would take at least seven months straight to get there at the fastest speeds we can possibly do. And then we'd burn up, so we're not there yet. But the sun is 960,000 times bigger than the Earth. And the sun is located in the solar system. And this is interesting. The sun makes up 99.8 of the mass in our solar system. So then there's the sun, which is 960,000 times bigger than Earth, and it's smaller than the solar system. And so then you've got this huge, gigantic thing called the solar system, which we live in. And the solar system is part of what they call the Milky Way. And let me just illustrate this a little bit for you. If the solar system was the size of a quarter, so inside this is the sun, which is 960,000 times bigger than Earth, in which Houston is simply a speck of dust. And here's our solar system. The Milky Way galaxy that we live in would be the size of the United States of America. 
America's large. Have you ever driven from like Houston to El Paso? Just Texas, it's gigantic. And so this is us and our solar system. And the Milky Way is the United States of America. It would take 100,000 years at light speed to travel across our Milky Way galaxy that we live in. 100,000 years at light speed. And let me just cap it off with this. We live in the Milky Way galaxy in which if it was the United States, the solar system would be this big. And the most recent projections done by this supercomputer estimate that within our universe, which is expanding, because God's glory can never be contained, most recent studies say that there are roughly 500 billion galaxies in the universe. We're one galaxy of 500 billion. And you say the ocean makes you feel small. How much more should we praise God because of where we realize today by modern science how big this creation is? And David says this was easily created by the fingers of God. Fingers would have been used to signify God's specificity in creation. So he meant it to be this big. He didn't lose control of the universe. It's the way that he meant it to be. And so David is simply amazed at God the way we are today, at this vast universe that we find ourselves in. But David is not just talking about how big the earth is, how majestic it is. He's not talking just about the birds. He's building a point here. And David's whole point, the whole reason for saying this, is he's getting to this idea that in the midst of this glorious creation, okay, he says, you use the least of these like infants to shame your enemies. So you use the least because you're all powerful. You've created the heavens, the moon, the stars, your glory, the universe. You've created all these things and you love me, David says. What you need to realize this morning is that the more amazing God is, the more loved you are. The more amazing God is, the more amazing it is that he loves you. Verse three says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Or we could say, when I look at the 500 billion galaxies in the universe, who am I that you wanna hear from me and talk to me in prayer? Too often we diminish God and we shrink him. It's amazing that God cares about us. That's what the Psalms constantly say. God's creation is awesome. Wall Park is awesome. The California coast is awesome. And he loves John Wethington very much, even to the point of death on the cross in the person of Jesus. And the more amazing God is, the more loved you are. Anyone of the beautiful thing about God's love? He's all-powerful, so his love won't ever fail. And we say that, and we hear that a lot, and we think we, okay, that means it's perfect, but we don't take time to think about that. The reason why that's so amazing is because every human in this world who loves you fails you constantly. 
This is why people who look for contentment in human relationships and things like marriages and relationships and friendships, while they're not ever happy because they're looking for fulfillment in imperfect people. Have you ever had someone who really loved you, but they fell to a sin that hurt you? See, love is dangerous because you're loving somebody who isn't all-powerful and who struggles with sin, and their sin will harm you. And so when you begin to build a relationship with somebody, you can bet for sure that their sin will hurt you. And so even in love with humans, there's this vulnerability that you know they're going to let you down, but God never will. Let me give you an example of this. Imagine that Barack Obama, the president of the United States, really liked you. Some of you might not like him, but what if he liked you? What if he liked you? That would be pretty cool, okay? He's like, man, I don't know what it is, but Francisco, he's like, that's my guy right there. It's like Barack Obama, the president, saying this. It's like, you know what, uh, man, that guy, uh, man, Mr. Farrell, man, he's awesome, and for whatever, he'd like call you constantly and want to talk, just catch up. It's the president of the U.S. That'd be pretty awesome, right? Why is that? Because he's powerful in our country. Because the dude controls the army, okay? He controls all of the government services. He's the commander-in-chief. The buck stops with him. And that guy really likes you. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel safe, right? As safe as you can feel in America. He's not going to be spying on your documents, that's for sure, you know? But what if I told you that your next door neighbor, Bob, really likes you? You're not as excited about that. Now, you're probably glad your neighbor doesn't hate you, because that's really unfortunate when you have, like, neighbors that don't like you. I, I hear stories of that constantly. There's something about the power that somebody has and the authority and who they are that makes it special when they care for us. Maybe you've been to a concert before and you've like just touched the hand of that singer you really like. Maybe you didn't wash your hand for a week, let the germs sink in to your DNA. We've all been there. Or like a famous athlete. And the God who created 500 billion galaxies and we're probably underestimating it. We're probably missing out on something. We always are as humanity. We're constantly underestimating the greatness of God and his creation. And he loves you. And so you say, okay, I get it. God's big. Creation's big. There's 500 billion galaxies. But I'm here on the speck of dust on earth in Houston, Texas. I'm living my life. What is my role in creation? And I love this question because, as I've said, um, it, when I was in college, I, I didn't focus too much on eschatology because it always really confused me. I know the basics. But creation was one of the things that always fascinated me, and I love studying creation. And if I had to sum up, and this is really hard because God is so big and my mind is so small, but if I had to sum up the singular reason why God created us, and in the simplest form I could say, it's simply this. God created us as humanity to love us. Let me explain. Our first role in creation, our first position is simply to be loved by God. You don't have to do anything. You just have to let God love you. 
Let God protect you and let God guide you. That is your first role in this glorious creation. You see, it's important to realize that when God created the world, it says in Genesis 1, it says that God created man in his own image, in the likeness of us, he says. And so he's talking about the Trinity. God has always been in the community of himself, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit from all eternity. And this is important because when he created humanity, it wasn't like he needed friends. God wasn't making imaginary friends for himself because he was lonely. He was perfect, he was holy, he was content and awesome within himself. And out of the the goodness and love of God, he created a creation that he would love it and that it would sing his glory for all eternity. Out of the community of God, the Trinity, springs forth life. It's kind of like in marriage, right? That echoes this in a lot of ways. When two people love each other in the covenant of marriage... And intimacy comes, and then, and then children come forth. And then when, when, when life springs forth from this union of love, you just love this kid so much. That is God with us. He created us to love us. We were created to be loved by God. But when Adam and Eve sinned and walked away from God, they refused the love of God. And sin enters the world. And here's the problem now. We don't know how to love. We're born into this earth selfish people in a beautiful creation. And the reason why it's hard to love people a lot is because we've never really been loved we don't feel like. You can't give something you don't have. You can't imitate something that you don't know how to do. And this is why Jesus says in John 13, I love this. He tells the disciples, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Reflect the love of God in this world. We were created by God to be loved by him. I've heard it said that as humanity, we're supposed to be reflectors of God's glory in this world. That's why we're called to be the hands and feet of Christ, right? Christ was, was, was God in the flesh of a man who never fell to sin, who came to the earth to be the sacrifice for us that would bring us back to God when we had walked away from him. This is the, the gospel. And so what happens is, is now because Christ has loved us and died for us, when we allow him to love us, that's what it means to come to Christ, Let him be your atonement. Let him forgive your sins. Let him take away your guilt and shame. Let him love you. When you walk to the front, when you get baptized, what you are doing essentially is you are allowing God to love you in the form of saving you. It's like when Jesus said, hey, I'm about to go die. And the disciples were like, no, you're not. You can't do that because you're God. God can't die. You can't do that. We're less than you. No, 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 no. You're not going to die. That's another way of saying, who am I that you are mindful of me? So we are created to be loved by God. 
And once we've been loved by God, and once we begin receiving his love in our lives, the only thing left to do in all of existence for all of eternity, it's real simple, is we begin having this dominion that God has given us. We were created to have dominion. Verse 6, it says, You have given him, which is man, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. I'm going to be in verse 26, or I'm just going to read it. We're kind of running low on time. Uh, Genesis 1, starting verse 26. This is very similar to what we just read. Genesis, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And listen to verse 28. The first thing God does, it says this, And God blessed them. God loves us first. And once he blesses them, he says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And we do. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth. This is God giving us something. Everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Once David says, God, you are amazing, and you love me and I'm just loved by you. He says, now I've got an order in this beautiful creation. I've got a place in this. I got something I need to be doing. We're called to be good stewards of what we've been given. We're called to be good stewards of the earth and our money and everything. And and it's crazy as humans, the reality that we legitimately have influence. Every person sitting in this room, you have some sort of influence in this world. And it was given from God to you. And the question is always this. The influence that you've been given, how are you using it? Um, It's funny. I pray every single um, week for illustrations from God for the sermon. Because after you preach for a month, you're like out of all your illustrations, right? And so I'm always praying for God to reveal something to me in the week that kind of helped me illustrate the point. This is an absolutely true story. Um, I knew I was going to be preaching on this on having dominion over the earth and the birds and all this kind of stuff. And I came home last Saturday. We'd been out of town for the weekend. And I was pretty tired walking back into my house. And I kid you not, on the front of my doorstep was a little gray thing, a little gray ball, okay? And I realized, that's, that's weird, you know. I don't remember leaving a little gray ball on my doorstep before I left. And so I walked over to it, and I did what every guy does when he doesn't know what something is. I kicked it. And um, so I saw it, and I, well, I lightly moved it with my foot, and I said, oh, hey, get out of the way. And so I moved it with my foot, and it moved. And I realized in that moment that what was on my doorstep, almost as if the stork had dropped it at my doorstep, was a little baby 
helpless, hurting bird. Smack dab in the middle of my doorstep. And, and we don't have any trees close to our door, at least. We have trees, but they're not by our door. And so I have absolutely no idea how this bird got on, literally on the center of my doormat. And it was funny because I knew, I was like, man, I'm reading this text. I can't just, you know, get rid of it. I can't just throw them in the, I got to help this bird, you know. I had this sense of compassion for it, you know. Because, because, because I'm here to do that. Because I have influence. This bird's hurting and I've got whatever power I have to help it. So I've got to do something. And then my wife sees it and she's all like, oh, the nurturing of it, you know. It's like the woman being nurturing. And I'm trying to figure a solution, you know. I'm trying to find like the, the, the nest that it came out of. And so um, I, we went inside. We got this little home for it. We built it for little birdie. What did we name it, my wife in here? Huh? Jasper. We named it Jasper. And so we named this bird Jasper. And... And I looked up on Google, what do you do when a baby bird is hurting and you're helping, all that kind of stuff. And so they, they told us the kind of place to build for it. And then I said, well, he's probably hungry because he's living. And so I said, we got to get him some food. And so I Googled, how do you feed a bird? And this is for your future reference. Um, whenever a little bird is hurting and you're trying to feed him, what you do is you take dog food, hard dog food, which we have because we have a dog. And we took some hard dog food, and you sprinkle some water on it, kind of make it soggy, and then you microwave it to heat it up, okay? And so that's how you feed it. And here's the absolute best part, okay? And this is the cutest thing. They said that whenever you feed the baby bird um, this food, what you have to do is you have to get some, some, some pliers or some tweezers and feed the baby bird via the, the, the tweezers or pliers so you can imitate its mom feeding it so that it will receive the food because it thinks it's coming from its mom's beak. I thought that was precious. <laughs> and we tried to feed him, and I'm, I'm guessing it was him, you know. And we tried to feed him, and he didn't really eat much, but we left some food in there. We think he ate a little. And we woke up the next morning, and unfortunately, I hate to tell you, Jasper didn't make it. And it was sad. But I... I felt like I used my influence and dominion well. And as little as those things are when we take care of pets or various things, it's funny because God has literally given us influence and dominion over this creation. He's given us influence. He's given us dominion. He's given us all these things that, that we can take what he's given us and we can love him with it. And, and the thing that I always think about is I know that when I wake up every single morning, there is something I can be doing in this world. And, and here's my question to you. Like every single one of you, you have influence. And, and what are we using it for? In this creation, are we making it better or are we making it worse? Are we imitating God's love or are we being lazy with what we've been given? And the problem with sin is it, is it keeps us from God's plan for us. And so we're called to, to love people, to love God, to glorify him. And whenever we begin to sin and do things below what God created us for, it distracts us from our purpose in life. And we don't feel like we're having a meaning or a purpose or anything because we're missing what God specifically designed us for. And my main appeal to you this morning is that you would see this God who has created 500 billion galaxies, that you would realize that he lovingly wants you to be a part of what he's doing in creation. And to choose having a Christ-like influence in the world 
over sin. That's the human struggle. Because once Christ loves us, once he dies for us, once we're reconciled back to God, our role in this life is to have dominion, is to do what we're supposed to do, is to have this influence in creation where we love people. Thus reflecting Christ in this world. Church, even in our body, how do you leverage your influence? Do you leverage your influence in this church because you have it? Do you use it to to bring peace and unity and love? Do you build people up? Do you encourage them? Are you available? Are you supportive? Or, Or do you use your influence to create disunity, to grumble, to not be happy, to to make other people feel bad? Like literally, you have influence. The question is, what am I doing with this dominion that God has given me in this world? And I know as stupid as it sounds, I even view like my yard as part of it. Like I mowed my yard yesterday and I felt really good. I felt like this little piece of land and this little speck of dust of Houston in the world, I felt like, man, I'm taking care of what God has given me. When people assign us to do something, does it get done? And so as we examine this beautiful, glorious creation that God's created, Are you letting Jesus love you this morning? Because since we're born into a messed up world, the only way that we can love people is to be taught how to love by first being loved. And what Jesus simply says is, I'm here to love you all. And when we allow Christ to forgive us, when we realize that we're not guilty of our past mistakes, our past failures, when we realize that we're letting him love us, we're letting him be with us, what happens in that moment is we let Christ love us, we get the confidence of his love, and we begin to leverage our influence in this world and in this glorious creation. God wants to use us in such a powerful way. And as we go out into the world today, I want you to leverage that influence for God's glory and the good of others. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And God, we see what you've done. And we love it. God, we love this creation. And God, we know that you have given us influence in this world. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the moments in which we didn't use it well. But God, we receive the love of the Holy Spirit this morning. We receive your love in our lives. And we pray that as we receive your love, we'd simply be mirrors that reflected in this world. I pray we would love that annoying neighbor that gets on our nerves. Because you would. I pray you'd help us to love our coworkers, no matter what. I pray you'd help us to love our family, our spouses, our children, the people in our church. Because you loved us. And because we received it. And lastly, God, we just want to say simply, we love you and we glorify the name of Jesus. It is only by Jesus that we are saved. It is only by him that we have come into a right relationship with God. 
And as we sing this last song, God, I pray that as we sing step by step, you'll lead us, God. We will realize that you are loving us as we leverage our influence in this world for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that as we sing, oh God, oh, you are my God and I will ever love you. I will ever praise you. I pray that as we sing those words, God, we would mean it and we would simply follow you all of our days. For all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this song together? If you need to hear more about Jesus or join this church or prayer or anything, please come forward at this time.